0: Thank you. Welcome to Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Join us as we cover conservation updates, tips and tricks to campfire chats.
1: Hey Steve, how's it going?
0: Good, how are you Kyle?
1: Good, good. So, uh, what are we at? What number are we coming up on?
0: Episode 10 already, the big double digit. The Dream Ram edition of both age well, and... Uh, and, and number, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah, totally stoked. So on this one, uh, somebody, when we started this zoom cast slash podcast, I had the vision of certainly talking to this gentleman. Uh, he's, uh, been front and center in the conservation community in BC for almost three decades now, uh, past president of wild sheep society, BC. Um, so we're going to have bill pastrick on and i am just absolutely stoked about this, uh, this,
0: yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, for those that don't know, Bill, he's the author of Dream Rams, uh, that that book you see all over social media. That's the new one's got the what the Chadwick Chadwick Ram on the cover.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, I've heard that. I, I don't have a copy of it, so I guess I'm due to get one. Well we'll,
0: we'll we'll have to ask him when when he comes on in just a few minutes. It's going to be a great episode. Uh, it's I'm looking forward to this one. Like you said, since the beginning, this is one one person we've wanted to chat with.
1: Well, Bill has just such a history. Um, He goes back to the early days of the Wild Sheep Society BC. I think Mm -hmm. he was at that first meeting. Um, And if you look on the Society's website, a lot of the history is written by Bill. Uh, He is a historian uh, and why he does such a great job on his book, Dream Rams of British Columbia. Um, He's been past president of the Wild Sheep Society BC. He's mentored me personally um, with his leadership on the Society. Uh, But it's not just the Society itself. He's uh, been... uh, involved with um, Grand Slam Club Ovis, quite active there. Uh, he's been a big member of FNAWS and the Wild Sheep Foundation, great supporter there as well. So Bill goes way back. He's got a ton of experience, uh, history with Wild Sheep in BC. So yeah, I'm totally stoked about this. I'm,
0: uh, I hear he's got quite the the collection of rams on his wall too. So maybe we can get, uh, well, the listeners aren't going to be able to see it, but you and I will get a little sneak peek there and see what he's got hanging around.
1: Yeah, to be honest, I've actually never seen his game room but uh, I know he's killed some because it, it, he talks about in the book there um, and he's got some phenomenal rams that uh, some field photos there and, and his wife Rose is a sheep hunter too right so I know oh, she's cool. been on some sheep hunts and I, I know she's killed at least one ram so yeah pretty, wow. pretty awesome. and
0: the, the cool thing I from, from what I know about this this book project is that he donates a, a ton of it to uh, wild sheep uh, the proceeds
1: yeah absolutely his books have been on sale all, all across um you know conservation organizations not just the society mm-hmm. uh you know obviously wild sheep foundation but uh just go and a bunch of other ones uh, I, i'm not exactly sure all of them but i know that he's donated right across the the landscape there for conservation and, and he has a, a conservation edition i think it was called uh, i got a copy of it i just uh it, it's beautiful it's a stunning book in itself like it's in a wood box it's absolutely gorgeous the big seller for me was that money was going to conservation so mm-hmm. when they came up i i right away I grabbed a, a copy just because I needed to, I felt that was, it was also, it was going to be a, a keepsake, but more importantly, it was going to do some good work for conservation on the landscapes. So. Oh,
0: absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I imagine our listeners are going to know now we're, we're moving from the zoom cast to a strictly podcast. We have listened, we've heard, and this is going to be podcast number one, but episode number 10, it's, it's kind of weird. It'll make sense when you hear it. So You'll, you'll, you'll hear us and you'll see us.
1: Yeah. Fantastic. No, I totally agree, Steve. I'm, I'm really excited about this. You know, that, like you said, we listened to our members. We asked, you know, who do you want to see on the show? Um, What can we change? And everyone said, put it in a bloody podcast. So here we are. And, uh, and just thanks a lot, like for all your work in making this happen. there's been literally countless hours behind the scenes, putting this all together and hats off to you for doing all the technical stuff. Not not, in addition to being on these podcasts as well. Well, we
0: we've always said we got the face for radio, right? So let's just take it that direction.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, off to episode 10, talk is sheep with Bill Pastrick.
0: If you looked up the words conservation superhero in the dictionary, you would see a picture of our friend Omer from Precision Optics. A tireless donor and supporter of all things wild sheep, Precision Optics, located in Quinnell, British Columbia, truly stands alone in the high alpine. From optics to rifles to outdoor gear and a knowledge that cannot be surpassed, toss in that killer smile and you have a total conservation package. Precision Optics, we are truly thankful for the support you show us every step of the way. Find them online at precisionoptics.net or in Aroma Foods located just off Highway 97
1: Hey Bill, how's it going? It's going great. Good to see you guys uh, likewise looks like you're at home in uh, Creston there by judging by the background on your wall there
2: oh yeah some some things hanging
1: <laughs> in your place yeah, I don't see any sheep back there I do you, uh, do you oh, do you're do facing you... the wrong facing the wrong way here. Oh okay, so you do hunt some sheep then I guess eh yeah there's a bit of a sheep wall <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, on that note, how many uh, how many rams have you been successful? I've looked through your book, and I, I know there's a handful, and I know probably Rose has probably killed almost as many as you. But what do you? What's your talent, <laughs> Just out of curiosity. Well, not quite, but uh, uh, five rams, two stones,
2: two dolls, and a rocky.
1: Okay, cool. So where's your desert? What's
2: the plan on that?
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't know if that's going to be happening or not. I think I'm going to have to get lucky
1: for that. Cool. we
0: got a great raffle going on right now. We can plug yeah, that. I
1: know. <laughs> That's what I mean by lucky. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Now, so your wife Rose, she's a, a sheep hunter while well, she's a hunter and, you know, outdoors person as well, and very accomplished as well. Um, what, what has she done in terms of sheep hunts? Uh, well, she's, she's more of a hunter than a sheep hunter.
2: Right. We've, uh, she's taken one, uh, one stone sheep it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a yeah. It's a nice, a thirty-eight inch stone. It was uh, probably the hardest sheep hunt I've ever been on. It was uh, a twenty-one day backpack hunt, and we got it on the seventeenth day. That wow. was the only legal ram we saw the whole time. That was up at the headwaters of the Prophet. Wow. So
1: yeah. yeah, she was able to do it though. She's tough. That's fantastic. Very cool. I, I think I've seen that field photo. I, it's in your book, right? That, that yes. one? yeah it's a fantastic photo for sure so uh yeah very cool so bill uh obviously we're talking about sheep hunting here, but um you know I've known about you for years, and I know many in the sheep hunting community have as well, and the conservation community even more so um and you've just uh you've you've been a leader in conservation in b c and and beyond as well, but certainly in b c for for literally decades so um, can you go back and talk a little bit about, you know, your involvement, how you got involved with wild sheep? I, I think you were one of the, one of the very first members or the uh, close to a founding member. And I love hearing your story. So I'd, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about how you got involved with the wild sheep society, BC.
2: Oh, it sounds good. Um, it, it, it's funny. I was actually, I was, I was going mule deer hunting and I was going to Braylarn and happened to be passing through Lillooet, stopped at a gas station there and. When that was back in the day when you had to pay for your gas inside and uh, went inside and there was a little stand on the on the counter with brochures on there for the Wild Sheep Society of BC. And of course, I'd never heard of it. So, you know, grabbed a brochure and went on and did my hunt. But I mean, as soon as I got home, I I phoned up and um, it was uh, Kelly Distraca's phone number was on there at the time. And uh, they'd been, it was a small organization at the time, and they'd been in existence for less than a year and uh, looking for sheep hunters to become members. So uh, they had their, uh, they had a meeting in uh, Williams Lake that next March, which I went up to. So that was, I guess in effect their, you know, their second year, starting of their second year. So, and uh, I mean, right then I was, I was hooked and knew that this was something that I needed to be a part of. I hadn't done a lot of sheep hunting up until that point. I had just had one limited entry hunt in the uh, in the Ashinola, and uh, it managed to screw that up very badly, and didn't get a ram. But uh, I still, I just absolutely loved the whole process and knew that this was something that I was going to be doing for the rest of my life.
1: So. Bill, what would you say is uh, what 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 caught you about the society? So, what why was it? Uh, what why w- did you know you had to be part of this? What sort of struck you that it was so important that you need to be part of it? Well, that? I think I think I was actually
2: looking for something. Uh, I'd early on in life I learned through my father that uh, you know about volunteerism, and of course you're in your twenties and everything in life seems more important than that, but it was always in the back of my mind. So we're, it, it just, it seemed to be an organization that could could go a long ways. And uh, really that that first year, once I got involved, we actually did a transplant in that first year and uh, earned a lot of respect with the, the uh, you know, the Ministry of Environment in Kamloops at the time and uh, it just it just snowballed from there
1: that's uh, that's fantastic so you you joined there what year was that what was the the year that you first went to that meeting uh, that's a good question 27 <laughs> years ago or something like that right because yeah exactly yeah. yeah it was a long time ago so here you are 27 years later and you're still doing the heavy lifting uh, still involved with the the conservation work, the volunteer work—you um, do the the work with the magazine. So that that's quite a legacy to be involved that long. And in the society, you you were you the second or third president as well, Bill? I, or?
2: I was actually the fourth president. Okay. Um, first president was Clarence MacGyver. Uh, second president, Lex Ross, and then Glenn Kunzel was president. Okay. So I actually learned a lot from Glenn. I was uh, vice president under him and. He, he just did such a great job of keeping everybody on the same page and uh, and I, I really learned from him that if if there was something that as a group we didn't agree with we just we we didn't follow through with it we it was almost like a every decision needed to be unanimous for you know for us to go ahead with a project or you know with whatever we were discussing at the time and it just seemed like such a such a good way to uh you know, to to work as an as an organization, and and really the Wild Sheep Society. We've uh, I think we've been very fortunate that we've had we had great leaders throughout, and uh, and everybody's on the same page. There's no backstabbing, no infighting. It just uh, it just works, and there's not many uh, not many organizations can say that. So I think it's something we should all be proud of.
1: Uh, that's great advice bill i, I know um a couple years ago when i was uh, i i stepped up for the president's role and was elected and you and i were sitting in the uh lobby of the kamloops coast hotel there and you know i said you know bill you've been you've been more of this organization than anyone i know you've been more involved you've passed president any words of advice and that that was the advice you gave me is that oh good yeah you, you said to me go you said uh you know if, if it's divisive um, you know, and kind of there's an issue and you can't get an agreement on it, it's probably not worth pursuing. Um, try and figure something out that you have the support of, of everybody. And, and that's probably going to put you in good stead. And, and that was good advice for me. And I, I'm grateful for it, for sure. I, I tried really hard when I was uh, in that presence role to, to sort of, subscribe to that as well. And I know there were a few times where there's some things where some people were pretty lukewarm on and, um, you know, it was one of those things where we didn't, we didn't p- try and push anything through that sort of yeah. wasn't collectively that we wanted. So I think that's great advice, Bill, for sure. So well, thank you. Perfect. For that. I was clever that day. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. yeah, was certainly good advice. And certainly, uh, I, I took it to heart for sure. So thank you for that.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a great way of doing things.
1: Yes, I agree. So, um, Bill, um, you know, one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you um, above and beyond the conservation aspect was was your book *Dream Rams of British Columbia*. and That in itself is a conservation success as well. Um, so you you put together this this book *Dream Rams of British Columbia*, um, and I know when I when that I, I was I learned about this, and it was in the in the backworks for some time and when I knew this was coming out I knew I had to get this so I was I think I bought one a year well as soon as I could I bought a conservation edition of it Uh, and it's absolutely just a stunning piece of work Um, and then I also bought just kind of uh, the the uh, I guess the everyday version of it what what do you call the The regular edition uh, a regular edition um, so so that I can stare at it every day which I quite often (laughs) do to be honest with you so um, it's just a fantastic piece of work Bill. Um, and it's just a testament to the rams of British Columbia, the the quality of uh, wildlife we have here and the rams we have in this great province. And uh, I think you've done a really, really good job, uh, a testament to uh, the wild sheep in BC. So, um, yeah, so do you want to talk a little bit about how this, this came to fruition? Massive undertaking. Like, I, I literally, this literally took years and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours and tons of manpower. So, how did this come to fruition and how does this, did this come to pass, I guess, really? Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I guess originally I I thought that this was a story that needed to be told. It uh, it it hadn't really been told properly, I don't think, in in any meaningful way. There's lots of good sheep hunting books out, but nothing that was specifically British Columbia. And and you're right about the work. I mean, I kn- I didn't keep track, but I realistically it was over. It was over ten thousand hours to to do this thing which when you when you're still working is I, i'm astounded i'm still married it was uh rose was wonderful and very patient with with everything so the um the conservation edition uh, the idea behind that i just wanted to well i mean many out there won't know what this is but it's the conservation edition is the it's a limited edition copy of the book that comes in a wooden book box that I made. And the uh, the wooden book box has a carving of the Chadwick ram on the cover and then the name of the title on it as well. So it's uh, something that I, I hadn't seen done before. So I uh, I had a, a local uh, woodworker friend here in just outside of Creston that, uh, that showed me the ropes and, and helped me and that uh, just, I mean, the boxes, alone, doing those 40, uh, 40 boxes alone was five hundred hours yeah. of, of shop time, but enjoyable shop time for for sure i I learned a lot so the um, the idea behind the conservation edition was to raise money for sheep projects so and uh, i mean it's gone really amazingly well there's uh, there's still two more left to auction off, but we're we're sitting at awfully close to uh, Canadian that's been raised for, uh, you know, for sheep projects in not only in BC, but you know, in, uh, all across North America. So it's, uh, I was happy with how it turned out. Uh,
1: It's absolutely phenomenal. Like the, the conservation edition is absolutely a work of art. So there's two left. So for our listeners, anyone that's interested, where are those two going? How can they get their hands on them?
2: Well, the next one is, uh, two left. One of them is, uh, While sheep decided b c but not until we have our next live convention i 'm just going to hold it for that and there there's still one for the uh, b c record books club of b c when when they hold their their next fundraiser Fantastic. that uh, that one is actually it's quite unusual it 's made of it 's the only one I made out, out of peruvian walnut so it's uh, it 's a bit different from all from all the others it 's a darker walnut so Anyways, still a couple out there. They've uh, they've gone for as high as $2,000 at, at auction. Wow. So I've been quite thrilled with that. And yeah. lots of them in the eighteen and $1,900 range.
1: Uh, deservingly so. I think it's worth every penny of it, especially when you appreciate where that money's going on top of it. And I, I just can't speak enough about the book itself. So um, it's just, uh, I, I got it here in my hands. And I, I just love just looking at the imagery in it is just fantastic. But actually the most compelling part for me is the stories. Like the stories are phenomenal. Um, And um, so you actually sent me an early edition, um, like an electronic edition, um, cause uh, you asked me to write a few words for you. And uh, I took that with me and I I just went through every single page. I couldn't stop putting it down, but the stories what what really compelled me and the very first story that to me is phenomenal. um, You write the Chadwick Ram and it's written um, from Chadwick's perspective in the first person, as if you were Chadwick um, and you authored it, um, accompanied with the the pictures, the photos, um, and and it's as close to reality as you could make it. You know, with the uh, with your perspective of the reality. Um, can you talk about this because this is to me? I, I I've read it a half dozen times. I just that is my favorite story of any sheep story. To be honest with you,
2: it's uh. <laughs> It was funny it was actually surprisingly difficult to do it's not a it's not a writing style that's commonly used and uh i I probably researched the story for well i would say over a year you know on the, the there's so many obscure uh websites out there and uh, you know different books and magazines and anything that I could find. And uh, it's also loosely based on his journal, so I had, a, you know, I had a had a good timeline. It was, uh, you know, can I say that how the story turned out is one hundred percent true? Well, you know, I would be surprised if it if it was, but I I think it's it's certainly realistic. It's uh, I like to call it fictionalized. It's uh, you know, I was trying to create a good read and the the base facts are all there that all happened you know about some of the day-to-day stuff you know maybe maybe not but it's uh you know i was able to uh i was able to meet with a cartographer in cranbrook here worked for the ministry and uh he helped me with the map so there's also a map in the book or a series of maps that show the route that he took and and where the precise spot where I think he took the ram, which uh, I mean, to my knowledge had never been done before, which, you know, I found that part kind of exciting. But he's, uh, he, was, uh, he was quite a guy. He never actually even finished high school. He was, uh, you know, but very intelligent, very intelligent young man at the time. And he managed to talk his way into uh, Purdue University and he pursued a uh, an engineering degree which he which he uh, which he got and uh, his uh, his thesis his thesis was on uh, uh small caliber machine guns which was probably you know quite unusual for the time kind of funny <laughs> he was uh, he was more of an inventor than anything and uh, had over two hundred patents to his name, which was really quite astounding. Hmm. He
1: invented a car, didn't he? He had it was a yeah, vehicle.
2: exactly. He he owned a company, the Chadwick Auto Works, and they were uh, in business for for a few years. But I think once automation hit, they just uh, they couldn't keep up with Henry Ford.
1: Right. Yeah, that's one of the things with the book that I, I find so intriguing is that you had a number of uh, photographs and then the the maps themselves, right? Just to see and and it's areas that we're kind of familiar with. You know, I, I obviously haven't hunted right where the ram was, the Chadwick ram was killed, but you know, having you know drove driven up through Hudson Hope and uh, Pink Mountain area and just driving through that area, I always I always think back to your. And it's funny, the Chadwick ram, it's obviously legendary, but I never really knew any of the history of Chadwick himself or, you know, uh, even the type of hunting they did back then. You know, how long was their sojourn? It was uh, 35 or 40 days or something like that, wasn't it? Uh, their wow, trip.
2: that's I should know that. E- yeah, it was, even longer than that.
1: Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so, yeah, absolutely fascinating read. I really enjoy that. and uh, And just for anyone that hasn't read the book, I highly recommend it. The, the story itself is about 50 pages long, I think 55 or something. Um, and it just it's just so interesting. I, it was just a page-turner for me. I just couldn't stop. And to be honest, I was sad when it was over. I just wanted to start <laughs> to keep going. It was, oh, and it, I've never, I don't think I'd appreciate it um, in any other form. The fact that it was written in, in that first-person form, kind of historical fiction, just made it so captivating. So I, hats off to you, Bill. I really enjoyed that, for sure. Oh,
2: thank
1: you. Uh, I mean, most people loved that.
2: Uh, a couple of people, of course, didn't. Uh, one guy in particular that was an author really didn't, didn't like it, but m- most people did.
0: Right. right. How many total stories are in uh, the book?
2: Uh, Oh, good. probably a, cu- a couple dozen anyways. Uh, uh, some of them I wrote, um, uh, a lot of them are stories that other people wrote and sent to me, but, uh, what I did, I, I rewrote all of them, some of them extensively, just with the goal of, uh, of trying to create a good read, which is, you know, quotation marks, a good, a good read. And uh, I think it worked quite well.
1: A hundred percent. Steve, by the interest, there's an article in there written by uh, Dave Marsh, one of our late directors. Um, so Dave, Dave was a heck of a writer, right? He was, yeah. he always told a good story. And uh, he's he's got that article in there, and it was a nice tribute to Dave as well, Bill. So uh, that was a great read. Um, one one story that uh, I recognized um, that you uh, felt a connection to was I think the Scotty Ram that uh, that Ram killed in Southern BC, that bighorn. Um, wh- why is there such a connection with that story? Tell us a little bit about that and and the backstory on that, Bill. Well, it's this story is actually
2: about. I mean a lot of people will will remember the story of Crag the Kootenai Ram. and this this, uh, this story is about that ram. Uh, it's a- taken by a hunter. Uh, well, maybe hunter isn't the correct term, but he, he was a, he was a hunter and a poacher and a, you know and a trapper and he just did whatever it took. To, but he it uh, late 1800s, and uh, he became obsessed with this ram, and he f- he tracked that thing for f- for 45 days through the mountains of, uh, of British Columbia, and quite possibly into Mon- into Montana originally, and finally it finally ended up killing it by tricking it with uh by creating a scarecrow, and. uh ended up killing it up by fort Steele, so track that thing so could you imagine how tough you would have to be to do that (laughs) phenomenal they don't make people like that anymore i don't think
1: yeah yeah so that that ram i guess there's it's a little bit the story is a little bit controversial about it and even the it's disappeared i guess say like there's pictures of it um, from one uh, an old magazine, but there's no uh, nobody has any knowledge of where that ram is now or what's the story there, Bill. No, nobody knows where it is. Unfortunately, it's uh, it's it's now known as the Tacoma ram,
2: and it uh, it was measured, um, uh, Roland and Ward Record Book, their third edition, which came out in 1900. It was measured for that edition, and it was 52 and a half inches on the long curl. With eighteen and 08 inch bases, so that is that's pretty impressive. You know, is it true? Well, I don't know. You look at the pictures; it's
1: it's huge. Yeah. So, like, to me, that's interesting. It's and again, it's the uh, allure, the uh, uh, mystique of it all. The fact that it doesn't exist anymore; nobody knows where it's at. When's the last documented time somebody seen it? Or can we go far a certain time back where people last seen it at some point?
2: Yeah, that would be uh, hmm, good question. Uh, Andrew Jackson Stone, who uh, went up the Stikine river in 1896 and, and uh, was, was a guy who, who, he didn't find stone sheep, but, He brought the first specimens back to be scientifically recognized. He stopped in in in, uh, Seattle at the uh, at the taxidermy shop where it was and and he saw it and he measured it and he was satisfied that it was that big. I haven't heard of any other since that time I haven't heard of anyone else that's uh, you know, short of it being measured for the you know 1900 record books, th- those would be the last. Th- those would be the last two times.
1: Okay, so it's pretty safe to say it hasn't been seen in 120 years, and it's probably I mean, exactly. probably not in somebody's basement. It probably got destroyed in a fire or something. Well, the... I mean, rumor has it it got shipped back to England. Okay, yeah.
2: So who knows? It may be in a castle back there somewhere.
1: Right. We can only hope. So, if you had to guess, what would the score be on that? If it like if you were to to score it under using Boone and Crockett system, any thought like i well, clearly over two hundred inches, but yeah, um, I mean, could be pushing two twenty. Wow, phenomenal! Yeah, what a what an a, an incredible ram and uh, uh, yeah, fantastic. So, Bill, of of all the the things with your book, um, what would you say to you? What's the most interesting and the most compelling? Um, I think that story that we just talked about, you said was probably your favorite. Um, any pictures or anything that stands out about the book uh, that you'd, you'd like the listeners to to sort of check out?
2: Uh, well, there's lots of historical photos in there.
1: So, you know, from the thirties and
2: forties and fifties. So I just, I didn't want that stuff to be lost. So I spent a lot of time tracking, you know, tracking these things down. You know, it's the I mean, pretty good job being a sheep detective. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. So I think those are my, those are my favorites. It's a lot of the old time stuff.
1: Right. Uh, Bill, there was, I, I remember when you were, before you released the book, you were setting some teasers out and there was some, uh, you were trying to dispel some myths and solve some mysteries and there was some pictures and controversy and stuff. Um, yeah, that's called marketing. Yeah, so can you talk about some of those? And I don't remember the details of them, and maybe one of them was this uh, Tacoma Ram. Um, Was there some other ones in there that you kind of. Because I remember you showing a picture, and somebody thought, I think it was related to Chadwick, and people thought that was maybe the Chadwick Ram, but it actually wasn't. It was something else.
2: Yeah, that was a Ram taken by uh, Schillingberg, and it was taken actually the following year. And the reason for the confusion, I think, was because uh, Curly Cochran and Frank Galata were both the guides for Schillingberg on this trip. So there's pictures of the two guides with the, you know, with with the ram. So, and it's, I mean, it's a nice big ram. It's not, uh, it's not Chadwick ram size, but I think the long curl was close to 48 inches, 47, 48, something like that. So it's, uh, it was pretty impressive. There was a story on that in, uh, a very early sports a field magazine so it's uh, the story's out there
1: fantastic oh well, that's that's um that's fantastic so now you know you've you've been in the wild sheep community now for as we said 27 years uh, involved in conservation work um you've you've done as much digging as anyone i know in terms of the history of wild sheep um is there ever going to be another chadwick ram do you think anyone will uh, We'll ever see a ram pass that, uh, uh, you know, the age old question, but what's, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't see it happening.
2: I, I really don't. There's, you know, there's so many good sheep hunters out there now. They're actually, they're not even sheep hunters anymore. They're hunter athletes. There's guys that are just in, keep themselves just in top notch shape and they travel, you know, they can cover a lot of ground. I mean, if, uh, myself, I think that the now the best sheep aren't really going to be coming out of the traditional areas anymore, mm-hmm. but they're going to be coming out of the fringe areas. Yeah. You know, the areas that aren't that aren't hit so hard. There's, you know, there's little pockets out there that used to be hunted, and they're just not hunted that hard anymore. I think those are the, are now would be the best areas to, if you, you know, if you really want to find something big, those would be the areas you have to hit. If you want just a, you know, you're, you're starting out and you want a nice representative ram, well, there's there's areas, you know, for that too, you know, where the, there's good sheep populations and always lots of up and coming rams and that's where you need to be. Kind of it, it all depends on what your goals are.
1: Oh, fantastic, uh, Bill. So, yeah, like we said, you've been in, in the conservation community for for decades, literally. Um, what sort of things have you seen? What have, what have you seen change? What have, what have you seen stayed the same? You know, what, what's kind of been of note from your perspective being a conservationist over the last three decades in BC?
2: Well, I mean, let's, let's talk about the Wild Sheep Society then in, you know, in, in those respects. Um, I, I think people are far more aware now than they were even 10 years ago, that uh about the wild sheep society and uh about what we need to do and what needs to be done in the future and there's a lot of people willing to step up now and uh, and take part there's uh yeah i mean i'm of the belief that everyone in their life should spend time volunteering for something you just you just need to decide what what it's going to be and uh, for me it was the wild sheep society There's this society has just grown by leaps and bounds, thanks a lot to you and and others. But it's uh, you know we just need to keep pushing and keep going and going. We're doing we're doing great things.
1: Yeah, fantastic, Bill. Um, I agree that the society is. uh, I'm proud to be part of it and proud to have you know its legacy as part of our current leadership. You know you're you're still uh, very involved and in our committee work. And, uh, you know, often we're consulting to you on, on how you've dealt with things over the years and you've been just a, a great beacon of uh, leadership for, for our organization. Um, One thing I find interesting is that we're still dealing with this domestic disease issue. Um, And uh, you know, you've seen that for 20 plus years now. Um, You know, have you seen any changes there? Are we getting any closer? Is it just the same old thing? Are we still going in the same circle there or what, what are your thoughts on that? yeah i i really think that
2: until we get agriculture ministry of agriculture on board yeah i don't see much change right you know we're still getting die-offs and so i i wish i knew what the answer was there but i mean we just need to keep fighting eventually eventually it has to happen
1: yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know it's it's interesting that, you know, I look at all the work that's been done for for generations, and we're still kind of coming back to the same, um, you know, tension point, we're just trying to find a solution. So I was just wondering if you'd seen any changes over the years on how things are done, or um, it's always just been such a, a challenging issue that we can never seem to sort of figure out a, um, a, a solution to so. Yeah, it's it's. What about the positives? Have
0: you seen Have you seen any big positive changes that we've made uh, in wildlife and conservation, as in general?
2: Oh, for for sure, yeah. I think, uh, uh, I mean, one of the best things I think we've done was was uh, push the uh, push the premier's tag. I mean, just the money raised from that alone has been, you know, millions of dollars that's gone towards, you know, not only sheep projects here in the province, but also, uh, I mean, 25% of the funds raised goes towards endangered species projects, or at least I, I believe that's the figure. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's one of the best things we've done. You know, if you can get, this was, this was back when I was president, and, uh, you know, we were able to get, you know, GOABC and BC Wildlife Federation and uh, FNAZ at the time, now Wild Sheep Foundation, and the Ministry of, of, of Environment on board. I mean, if you can get everybody on board like that, it's, uh, it's got to be a good thing.
1: Yeah, so it's a no w- question. That I now- would say
2: that's one of the best things we've done.
1: Yeah, and that's a lot of that's been driven through the Wild Sheep Foundation of auctioning these tags down. Yeah, uh, exactly. Through their fundraising, Uh, it
2: was it was the Wild Sheep Society that started that
1: process. That's fantastic. Um, Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. Now, BC's kind of been a a seed uh, spot for wild sheep all across uh, the western. North America really so we've done a ton of transplants that's one thing being on the board of directors with the uh, society I've never had the opportunity to transplant um, or had one during my my involvement so um, you know can you talk about where some of these sheep have gone across the North America bill and and um, maybe you know highlight a few of them I, I I really don't know too much about transplants in BC to be honest well it's mainly California bighorns
2: and I can, I can state that if it wasn't for British Columbia, there would be very few California bighorns in the United States. I mean, we've done transplants to uh, Washington, to Oregon, to Utah. And those, those are the main ones, but to multiple sites in, in those states. And they can, they can thank Canada for their California bighorn populations. A lot of them came from originally from the Junction area, and then after that, lots from uh, Kamloops Lake area, and uh, more recently, you know, from Kelowna, or the Penticton
1: area. Okay, fantastic. Um, with regards to um, to the future of wild sheep in BC. Um, what are your thoughts with regards to, uh, where we need to go? What, uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of raising some money, obviously, you know, more money's better. Um, and in terms of, uh, you know, that I think we've done a pretty good job of elevating some of the concerns with wild sheep, but what do you see moving forward that we need to sort of uh, focus on? Um, well,
2: I think we just need to keep doing what we're doing. We're, uh, I mean, we're a highly respected organization and, uh, you know, our, our word carries weight. So we just need to keep you know, doing what we're doing, keep trying to influence whoever we can to you know, be doing the right thing. And, uh, you know, keep increasing our numbers. Um, there's still lots of sheep hunters out there who aren't, uh, who aren't members of the Wild Sheep Society. So I think if we keep, keep we're, we're on the right path, we just need to keep
0: pushing what would you say to a sheep hunter? That's not a member.
2: Yeah. Well, I'd be curious as to why, you know, for, you know, for the cost of a couple of cases of beer, you can, uh, you know, if you're a sheep hunter and it's your, it's something you love, you know, you need to work hard at, at helping to preserve this for, you know, for yourself and, and for your kids and grandkids.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Bill. Yeah good advice for sure yeah I've, I've never quite understood that as well we uh sell uh i think 2,500 to 3,000 sheep tags a year in british columbia and the society's sitting at a thousand members a number of which have never hunted sheep before i was just on the uh, phone this morning yes yeah, steve is a classic example never bought a sheep tag uh, i was on the phone this morning with one of our life members kevin toy and he said i've never hunted sheep and he goes it's not really on my radar he goes yeah i'd love to but he goes you know i'm hunting all this other stuff but uh he goes, he goes, but I don't understand. And he goes, I'd like to know why a guy that hunts sheep wouldn't be a member of the, an organization that's looking after the, uh, the species in the, in the province. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've always been a little puzzled by that, too. But uh, I think we just got to keep pushing and, and let people know that we care and, and show them the good work that we're doing. And I think that, you know, what was our numbers? $250,000 last year. Um that the society's put on the ground for conservation um with the members. Which is pretty impressive. Yeah, a thousand members doing that, right? So uh I'd say uh you know your membership dues, if you do um two hundred a thousand people at your forty dollar due, um that doesn't that doesn't pay for that two hundred and fifty thousand. So we're doing some some good work of putting uh the money on the ground there for conservation and wild sheep for sure. So uh, um so Bill, back to the book. Um what uh you sold out the first run, right? You did the first print and you sold out a hundred percent on that, is that correct?
2: Yeah, I've uh I've actually I've tucked a few away for future donations. But but yes, it's it took a year and a day for it to sell out. A year and so a day. I was I was absolutely thrilled with that. Wow. Yeah, you know, I would have been I would have been happy with two years. You
0: know? How many copies you, was you, that?
2: You know, you take I'm sorry?
0: How many copies was made were made the first run?
2: Oh, there were, the first run was a 1080 uh copies. So, you know, and it's uh it's a big expensive book. It's not something that, you know, that anyone would you know, would easily spend the money on. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, I tried to go as high a quality as as possible, which I mean, you can tell if you just pick the book up, it's uh just the quality of the paper makes for a heavy book.
1: Uh, you know, I, I'll i be the first to attest that it's worth every penny bill. Um, and then that's the reason I bought two. Uh, it's just, it's that good. It's just such a compelling read. Um, and it's it's a feast for the eyes, but just the information there is, you know, I, there's very few books that I've seen that come anywhere close to matching the information there. And, um, you know, obviously I didn't verify the accuracy, but I know that you've been, you know, absolutely um very uh, picky about the information and making sure that it was correct and accurate as possible and i get anything with history is not going to be exactly perfect i appreciate that but uh just a phenomenal job so but you've done a second run now is that is that correct Do you like people can buy another edition if yes. they want
2: yeah and of course uh yeah the this uh, second edition i put out it's got uh, of course it's got a uh, photo of the chadwick on the on the cover <laughs> okay so uh it's you know easy easier to distinguish between the t- the two editions um uh, of course uh came it came out just as covid got rolling so i was hoping to be selling at the uh you know wild sheep foundation and grand slam club conventions but uh, that of course hasn't happened so the the goal now you know hopefully after this christmas will be to uh, just to have the printing costs covered and you know, I'm I'm getting close to that, so I think that'll that'll probably happen, because I mean, face it, having something like this printed is, it's, uh, you know, you're thinking, you know, should I take a second mortgage out on my house? Right. It's uh, it's expensive.
1: So this second edition is basically virtually the the same, but it it has the Chadwick Graham. That, that's the only real change.
2: Yeah, a couple of smaller, couple of small changes inside, not anything that anyone would notice. Okay. Uh, you know, there was, I found a few. You know, after checking repeatedly and repeatedly, you still found a couple of mistakes. Okay. Yeah. So change those, and one RAM got swapped out for, well, let's just say one RAM got swapped out.
1: Okay, we'll leave it at that. Sure. We'll um, leave it at so, so now, if I want to get a copy of it, um, what, what price point? Where do I go? How do I get a hold of one, Bill?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, thankfully, I mean, when you when you do a second printing on something, the printing costs are reduced. So, so I reduce the cost of the the, the retail cost of the book. Uh, the price is hundred dollars plus uh, twenty dollars for shipping, and then six dollars GST tax. Uh, you can just go to uh, dreamrams.com and go to the website. and You can order it right off of there. Those uh, those orders are done through a fulfillment company, and they're I mean they're pretty fast. Or if you want really fast, you can just email me or phone me and I'll send you one.
1: Okay. Well, I've got two, but I don't have one with a Chadwick Ram on it. So I don't really have a choice. So you're going to have to send me one, Bill. I'll get off the phone here. I'll send you an EMT. So
2: let me know what I owe you. But
1: uh, yeah, I've, I've, um, so now with these, you just have the one, uh, like basically a, a standard print version of this available because you had three versions on that. That previous copy, you had a conservation, and then you had a standard version, and then what was that middle version, Bill?
2: Well, it was a limited edition that I, that I did. That was, uh, you know, the the cover was done in Arizona bonded leather, and then it was done in a slipcase that was in the bonded leather as well. So, of course, that was a that was a more expensive book. That was a two hundred dollar book, okay. but uh, I mean, it was a thing of beauty. That was for the serious collector.
1: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So what's on the agenda now? You've written this book um, and I know you're not going to sit there and do nothing because it's not your nature and I know you're not just going to go hunting. You got all winter to kill. So you got dream rams Two coming up or you got dream rams of Alberta or what's, what's next on the agenda, Bill? Well, the next book is titled dream rams of the North. So yeah, uh-huh. uh,
2: you got it. Very clever. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to cover uh, British Columbia, Alberta, Northwest Territories, Yukon, and Alaska. So, if uh, if any of you hunters out there have exceptional rams from those areas, uh, you know, please give me a call or email me, and
1: uh, you know, I'd like to see what you've got.
0: Our our previous guest we might need to get a hold of. Hey, hey, for that Kyle,
1: yeah, uh, Shane, yeah, Sabrina. Uh, oh, Sabrina. No, Sabrina doesn't have anything to contribute there for sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, Sabrina was in the first book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, she's her ram's probably worthy of a second, uh, the second book as well. If you have space available, for sure. So, yeah. Um, well, that's that's exciting, Bill. So, have you have you started working on that book? And where are you where are you at with it?
2: Yeah, I'm maybe twenty percent done. So, I mean, realistically, it's still two to three years away. Probably three years.
1: Okay. So
2: yeah. it would be different if I wasn't working, and but it's uh, it's tough when you're doing both.
1: Right. now do you envision doing something similar with the three different editions at conservation edition and um,
2: yeah I, that's exactly what I would be doing yeah,
1: wow. uh, that's, yeah I, would, I think I would probably
2: kick the uh, the conservation edition up to 50 because I got you know so many requests for you know for for donations so I, I,
1: I think I would do that fantastic oh that's great uh, I look forward to that I can't wait to to get my hands on it for sure. So, yeah. So will it be a similar format with stories as well and, and such bill? Yeah. Stories and, and photo galleries. Wow. Yeah.
2: Uh, it'll be, it'll be a similar format, but, but it'll be broken down into provinces and, uh, you know, territories and then Alaska. Each, uh, each will kind of be their own chapter.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to bring up something taboo here, but, uh, and I probably shouldn't be talking about it, but um, you know it's interesting. I I was on the sheep hunting page on Facebook, and somebody posted a picture of that Robert Hansen ram um, that was taken. And then it was interesting. Your name came up and said, "Well, Bill probably knows where those rams are." Um, is is that is any of that going to be in your book? Are you going to feature that at all? Because that's kind of It's obviously a bit of a you know a sad side story, but it's also you know talks about sheep hunting. I think. Most of those were poached rams, though, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So,
2: yeah, I,
1: yeah, I haven't decided I'm, I'm where to
2: still, go with that. I'm still struggling with that. Right. Still yeah. giving it some thought. Right. It's, uh, let's just say it's on the list, but it's, uh, I don't know. I need to give that a lot more thought.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, and I I, I was a little bit reluctant to bring it up, but it's uh, that picture came up and I didn't know any, any of the history or even who the person was. And then I've seen that ram and then I realized the story. I'm like, wow, that's, that's, it's, it's a very sad story, obviously the, the Hanson story, but uh, you know, some pretty interesting rams there as well. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just thought I'd uh, see if that was going (laughs) to crack the book. I, I, well coming out of that Alaska range and the territories and the Yukon, you're going to, you won't have any shortage of information for that, that book. That's for sure. No, I
2: mean, I don't know if it's just coincidence, but I'm just, astounded at what's been coming out of the yukon lately boy they're just they're certainly doing something right right there's there's i mean maybe that's just what i've been getting sent to me lately but boy there's some big dolls and some big stones coming out of there
1: so bill on that note like when you look at wild sheep over the history of time and as far back as you have looked, and i know you've looked back into the late 1800s and you've shared stories from the 1800s in your book in BC. Um, What would you say the state of wild sheep is? Where do we see, like, I know we know the numbers and we know all that sort of stuff. And um, you know, you said there'll never be another Chadwick and there'll probably never be another, you know, uh, Tacoma ram. But um, what, what do you think in terms of, you know, where wild sheep is headed? Are we going to see bigger and better rams? And um, do you think, and we know over time that's changed too, right? You know, there was the market hunting in the forties, fifties, sixties that, you know, decimated herds. But what's your thoughts on that overall, and where we are, and based on what you're talking about, what you're seeing at a Yukon, the Yukon these days? Yeah.
2: Well, I think that if, uh, I mean, two two things: if we can control predation, and if we can uh, get the domestic sheep issue under control, I think we'll see sheep hunting like we've never seen before. I mean, maybe not, maybe not new number ones, but just lots of more opportunity than we've ever had before. So that's why we need to just keep working at it and you know, hopefully we can get a whole bunch of new members. Hopefully this will help a bit and uh, it's uh, this conservation, sheep conservation is something that, you know, our group is very passionate about and we're doing a good job.
1: Absolutely, Bill. You know it's really interesting with your book there was that that Tacoma ram that you talked about and and Scotty there that was you know he talked about just basically wiping out the sheep in his valley he He killed so many himself as an individual right yeah. um and it's interesting, so you know this issue of dwindling sheep numbers is is not new to our community right we they, yeah. They've gone through this and you know over the test of time really but the scary part is, is I think it was the 1800s, or, uh, 1900s, early 1900s that they talked about having a million sheep on the landscape, you know, when uh, uh, Lewis and Clark came west and that sort of stuff. They were just, you know, uh, just everywhere and then, of course, market hunting and everything and obviously disease and die off, right? So um, it's not new to us. No. And
2: one thing that while I was researching the Chadwick Ram story quickly found out how, how bad the wolves were in Northern BC at that time. So it's, it's not just now, it's, it's cyclical. Um, yeah, but man has such a profound effect on, you know, on everything around him now. We just, we can't afford for it to be cyclical. We need to, you know, need, need to be, they need to be controlled, the predators, so that, uh, you know, so the ungulates have a chance. I don't want to wait, you know, 25 years between, you know, boom and bust cycles. It uh, it doesn't need to be that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well said for sure. And it's certainly a complex issue, right? And, uh, you know, I think that's probably a really good topic for this podcast at some point, Steve, is, is that predator discussion, right? And, uh, you know, the problem I find, though, is or an echo chamber, right? You can sit there and talk about predator mm-hmm. control and I'm going to shake my head and Steve will shake his head and he'll talk about it. And then I'll shake my head and you'll shake his head, but it's the, the unanointed that that don't understand it. Right. And that's, yeah, that's one thing we've always struggled with, but you know um, you know, trying to communicate that message and the importance of it is the hard part. So, you know, sometimes I find talking about predation on a, in our own group is just like, you it's know, cyclical.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Well st- said for sure, Steve. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a good point for sure, Bill. And, uh, something we need to, I think in in my opinion, do a better job of and be more proactive and, and help manage all the resources and not look at, uh, at myopically, right. Look at it holistically and what's the best for, you know, conservation in general, um, including the wolves, including the bears. It, it's not, it's not just about, uh, the ungulates either. Right. So, yeah. um, But uh, yeah, no, very good point for sure. So, uh, Bill, we've taken an hour out of your, uh, your Thursday here. Um, do you have any last words of parting words or thoughts that you want to leave our guests with? Yeah. I just want to
2: thank everybody that's, you know, that's a member of the society for, you know, for, for doing their part. And certainly the, uh, executive of the Wild Sheep Society, this is, I mean, this is as good as it's ever been. Uh, we're doing a good job and just need to keep carrying on
1: yeah fantastic bill i appreciate all that you've done and continue to do day in and day out and um you know it's uh what do they say time treasure and talent and you bring all three um you, you spend your time you've uh, shared uh, your treasure and your talent um just on so many levels and you're certainly uh one we we all should be looking up to i certainly do and super thankful and I just I, I guess I'll go one step further and, and echo your comments about our membership I, I think our membership is second to none I'm just absolutely blown away um, almost on a daily basis you know dealing with our membership and just random individuals that I've never really gotten to know and you know you receive a reach out that want they want to get involved they want to do more they want to support just phenomenal so I I, I feel super blessed to be part of this community uh, the wild sheep community and and the wild sheep Society of BC is top of top of the heap as far as I'm concerned. So super thankful. Yeah. Thanks for your time, gentlemen. Thank you, Bill. Have a wonderful day. And uh, uh, next time we'll, uh, we'll get you s- switched around in your seat so I can see all your big rams in the background. <laughs> yeah. Sounds great. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate Thanks. your time.